and welcome to Well-Tempered, the podcast about the smart, creative, and crafty women in the chocolate industry. I'm your host, Lauren Hynek, creator and founder of Well-Tempered, this podcast, the community, as well as chocolate maker and founder at Weekend Chocolate. I have the incredible honor of sitting down with American Cheese Society certified cheese professional, Vanessa Chang, to talk about pairings around specialty cheese and craft chocolate. She happened to be in town in July for the ACS's national conference, and we had a really fun time. I know that by listening to this and hearing her enthusiasm, you're gonna be just as excited to wanna replicate this at home or be inspired for something similar to build upon for your next dinner party or workshop. You all know that this is a labor of love to produce this content, and whether you're a veteran listener or it's your first time here, it means a lot to me that you're tuning in, and all feedback is greatly appreciated. Whether you're reaching out to me via social media or leaving ratings on iTunes, everything helps me to become a better professional and provide a more fabulous chocolate-related things for you in the future. And now on to the tasting. In terms of sequencing, it honestly is sort of the predicted outcome of the pairing, like the intensity of that, or honestly, it's for me the cheese because the cheese tends to linger longer on the palate if it has a what's called a thicker paste, and that's just a fancy industry way of saying like it's just a, a fuller bodied cheese. Like it, when you chew it up, it's going to linger in your mouth more, and the finish is going to stay there longer. Sure. And so, like for instance, blue cheese. I will always have blue cheese at the end. Mm. So blue cheese can pair well with anything from like a very fruity chocolate, dark chocolate, to milk chocolates actually pair really well with it. And so no matter what that chocolate may be, if I pair it with a milk chocolate, I'm not going to start out, I'm not going to start it out earlier in the sequence. I will always end with something like a blue or a washed rind cheese. Those two I tend to stick at the very end of pairings. And that's kind of a rule even with like when you compose a cheese plate or you tell people or you do cheese tasting is to kind of taste those at the so washed rinds and then blue. Fun. Mm-hmm. Okay, perfect. Well, that was a, a great little setup for what is going to be our conversation here today. Vanessa, why don't you take a moment and tell us about yourself? My name is Vanessa Chang. I am a food educator, writer, sometime consultant, but always in the world of food and beverage. My background is in specialty food mostly. I'm at what's called a ACS uh, certified cheese professional. ACS stands for American Cheese Society, and Certified Cheese Professional, the best equivalent to describe it is probably like a cheese sommelier. So I'm an ACS CCP, and I love charcuterie. I had a day job working with cured meats and in the artisan cheese world, but personally, I've always had this fascination with chocolate and the burgeoning scene of producers doing cool new things in addition to the traditional houses kind of keeping a tradition alive. And to see that explosive growth and to see the range that's available now compared to like just say a decade ago is what keeps me personally interested in chocolate even though I spend a lot of time having to deal with cheese and charcuterie. (laughs) We're allowed to have our lovers alongside our our true love. I'm in a polyamorous relationship with chocolate so put it that way. (laughs) Awesome. We're gonna do some tastings here. We have a mix of dark chocolates, some single origin single estates as well as a white chocolate and 
a milk, mm-hmm. an inclusion bar. We are going to do, hopefully with not too much mouth noise, because I know that that can be irritating for our audience, a little dive into what we have here. And then Vanessa is going to walk us through, in her ideal world, what fine cheeses would go well with that particular chocolate. So where should we start, Vanessa? Let's start with the solstice, actually, because I'm the most familiar with them. I love solstice as a producer. They're actually one of my favorite producers. 70% Camino Verde, Ecuador. Let's go ahead and give it a taste. And mm-hmm. so people always ask, what's what's the best way to pair cheese and chocolate? And if you read various articles or if you Google it, you know, you, you tend to get some sort of very generic categorical sort of references in terms of you, you can tell that these people are they're not chocolate people. They may be cheese people because mm. they'll go deep into like, oh, it's got to be a French sheep's milk, like, you know, Roquefort, you know, blue from this town, from this producer, and then pair it with a milk chocolate. You know, they just leave it very generic. Right, right. You see that. And we're getting down to the nitty gritty mm-hmm. of maybe what could be specific as well as far as origins or even mm-hmm. more like of the notes within the chocolate. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you see that in beverage pairings, unfortunately, too. I mean, how many of us have, you know, if you ever go to a wine tasting room or you go to, like, a wine bar and they're like, oh, we're going to pair this red wine with a dark chocolate and they can wax poetic about the red wine, but they don't know anything about the dark chocolate. Right. Or worse, it's just, like, a dove square. Has Have you ever had that happen to you? <laughs> I actually don't go to a lot of wine tastings, to be quite frank. I've done some more alongside... Uh, tequila and, and whiskey mm-hmm. lately, but that's also been a new thing just Spirits within the last like two, yeah. three years that people have made the connection that, hold on a second, chocolate is actually more versatile than we imagined. Yes, and actually, chocolate and red wine, I mean, you want me to get controversial, I'm going to say it right now, dark chocolate and red wine is one of my least favorite pairings on this planet. And I, I think it goes to a sommelier rule of making sure that the wine is actually technically sweeter than what the food is that you're pairing with and it's hard to think about because we usually think of savory pairings for wines like if you go out to dinner the sommelier will suggest like a big cabernet sauvignon like if you eat a steak but if you think about it in terms of the sugar content of the beverage compared to the steak the cabernet sauvignon with that sweetness whatever minimal residual sugar still more than the steak along with the tannins will actually pair really beautifully with what's going on with the food and we don't give that much consideration with the chocolate i was actually at a tasting room at a very expensive winery in napa where the bottles are like you know at least two hundred dollars but you can go into the tasting room and for like 40 bucks you can get like a flight or two or three wines and that's the only way i would ever get to drink them and you sit and you're just like wow you know extraordinary story extraordinary sourcing for the red wine and they ask would you like a chocolate pairing and i was like yes absolutely let's do this think this is a they're gonna wh- nail it exactly this is like high flute and luxurious brand and producer they're gonna nail it and they gave me dove Oh, God. And I was just, and I looked at the woman and I was just like, you're giving me like the most amazing like red wine and you're giving me this. And she's like, oh, yeah, it's delicious. And it, it wasn't, needless to say. So <laughs> it'd be like us having a Smirnoff right now to wash down this <laughs> exactly. Camino Verde. Exactly. And so for this, so with the Camino Verde, you can see it's a little bit of a darker roast. I mean, out of everything, we have about six on um, a white sheet. It's a little bit darker in the lineup, but 
you know, remarkably, it isn't super huge in astringency and in tannins. Mm-hmm. And so if anybody... Very characteristic of the Camino Verde exactly. coming out from Vicente. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so for something like this, you're going to want, and it has very soft fruit characteristics. And when you pair it with either a beverage or a food, in this case, cheese, it can get completely lost. And that's what I find with a lot of sort of like the cheese and chocolate pairings, is that instead of getting that wonderful third flavor from two different flavors, one just kind of gets completely muted out and the chocolate simply exists as like texture and body to supplement the cheese from like the cocoa butter and the cocoa mass Mm -hmm. um, versus actually showing up to present like this amazing third flavor combination. So that leads me actually to a great point. You were just mentioning this sort of symbiosis between flavors. Is that then expected in the same way you'd have a, a liquor pairing with chocolate that you'd be sipping and eating? Are you eating bits of chocolate and also putting bits of cheese yeah. in your mouth so that the mix is happening? That is the best question because I think that's never really addressed in any sort of tasting, whether it's like cheese and wine, food and wine, and especially chocolate and wine, is like how do you taste you know, each piece? Um, and with cheese and chocolate, what you've got are two very dense, most of the time, sort of pieces of food just in terms of mass. And with chocolate, you need to break it up a little bit. And depending on the cheese that may be really oozy, you don't need to break it up. And so you kind of need to understand what's going on texture-wise with the cheese. So if I have like a really luscious, perfectly ripe pasteurized camembert, it's like kind of oozy. I know it's not going to last very long on my palate, but I have a chocolate that has a really tight structure and maybe doesn't have added cocoa butter. It's going to need more time in my mouth and in my palate to actually melt and yield the flavors and then I would eat the cheese. So you have to take into consideration sort of like the density. Texture, consistency, and then also temperature. Temperature, absolutely. Because there's no point in sort of like eating that gooey camembert first and then throwing in, you know, a piece of chocolate and you're still chewing the chocolate, but the camembert's gone. Absolutely. Right. Okay. So, and just a little nibble just to kind of match it again. And it just depends on sort of the body. It is my belief that this has added cocoa butter. Yes, I believe it so does. This okay. does yeah. So this has a nice melt, therefore. It would be a little quicker than, say, something like a dandelion chocolate or even some exactly. of the bars that I make that are not with cocoa butter. Exactly. What are we thinking on this? This is one that the chocolate can get completely lost, right? It has no pronounced fruit notes. There's nothing like, it doesn't punch you in the face with anything in particular. But if you pair it with the right type of uh, cheese, and, and you know, you can get sort of a nice third flavor out of that. And for this like the Camino Verde, I would go with a semi-hard or a semi-firm cow's milk cheese. Mm-hmm. So I would even try it with something like an Italian Toma. Okay. And so um, it's going to be something milder. If the cheese is extraordinarily pungent or extra- has a huge personality, it's totally going to tone down the Camino Verde. Right. So you want something that is sort of a lot of my friends describe it as an easy to eat cheese. Right. Something that you can sort of consistently grab and nibble. Like if you had it on a table with a knife, like you can keep going (laughs) slice after slice after slice. It'd be gone. Yeah, exactly. I'm thinking the Comte as well. Would that maybe? Yeah. So anything also with like brown butter notes. So Mm. the Alpine style cheeses that the milk typically has to be cooked at a really high temperature. And you almost get that flavor of like cooked milk, brown butter, sort of like roasted notes. That would actually be really lovely with the Camino Verde because it would kind of that brown butter would add actually another element to the flavor. Glorious. um, It's really... It's making me hungry. (laughs) We are eating, but we we do not have cheese. So we're just imagining what the cheese would taste like. It's kind of an injustice that we're at a cheese conference and we don't have any (laughs) cheese, but I think everyone's 
kind of had their fill after the third day. So. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And we're going to have to touch back on that brown butter note because I find that to be fascinating that you mentioned it in that realm because I hadn't thought about the milk being heated to a temperature in that mm-hmm. way. And we have a lot of bars coming out on the market, one of which we have here today from Fruition Chocolate that is a brown butter bar. So we'll keep that top of mind and then mm-hmm. let's move on if our palates are ready for yeah. it. And actually, one, one other suggestion yes, I would please. make for this one for the Camino Verde is um, one, a soft ripened cheese, but one that doesn't have the pungency that, say, like a camembert does. So for non-cheese people, you know, we see a lot of brie in this world. And a lot. they may have also heard of camembert. So there is a difference. They're both what's called soft ripened cheeses. So they have, like, beautiful velvety sort of white rinds. But because of the recipes and how they're made and the laws applied to them in France, um, according to... PDO regulations, protected okay. designation of origin. They're very strict. So for instance, brie has a, tends to be much more mild, much more buttery, and larger in format in production. Mm. Camembert is almost like mushroomy um, and very pungent and almost has like a sharp sort of tang that's borderline ammoniated. Something like that I wouldn't pair with a Camino Verde, but like a brie or like a triple cream, like a, what's mm-hmm. called a Delice de Bourgogne. It, it's basically like butter or buttercream. And so to pair that with something like this with a Camino Verde that is sweeter because these cheeses tend to have a buttery, yes, you know, milk, milky, creamy sort of flavor, but it does tend to be sweeter than the chocolate. Okay, yeah. great point. Thank you. Let's see. So we've got a couple others in the dark range. Mm-hmm. Bo Cacao out of the UK, which sources exclusively from Malaysian farms. They have a beautiful direct trade model. Pretty hard to find in the US, at least at the retail level this at this point, but you can order from them online and have it shipped where you are. It's got a kind of darker brown auburn mm-hmm. color. Much lighter um, compared to the Camino Verde. And really lovely. This is actually my first time tasting this bar, so I'm Great. really excited. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Of course. And it's a very a very thin bar, so it's going to be easier to melt. They're just a three-ingredient bar with a cacao, cocoa butter, and cane sugar. Only 3,800 bars on this batch. So we are lucky. We are very lucky. chocolate is very it has a brighter personality but that finish on it is 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 deeper and smokier it's almost like molasses or like sauterne wine Mm. Uh, and so it kind of has um how do I describe sauterne it's a sweet dessert wine everyone just thinks it's sweet but it actually has characteristics of like honey and molasses and dried fruits Mm. as well not molasses I should say that but it's something that's typically paired with like a goat cheese I'm definitely getting the smokiness that yeah. you're speaking of. This, this, and it's interesting you say the dark because a lot of people are starting to have this greater recognition of tasting in colors. Yes. Or tasting according to like the spectrum of light to dark. Yes. So when you're saying it's a, you know, whether that be a dark roast, and in this case it is not, but the, the flavors that come to mind are dark. And it's that, you know, charred barrel or mm-hmm. um, they actually put on the package pipe tobacco. That makes sense then. Yeah, yeah, that's actually really lovely. And I would even go like two completely different cheeses for a pairing. That's sort of like late harvest dessert wine sort of flavor that we get, get mm-hmm. towards the end of the melt. I would pair it actually with aged goat cheeses. And so we, aged. you know. Yeah, Please explain so, this aged goat cheese. Yeah, so everybody knows um, if a chef is everywhere, right? Um, Vermont Creamery, one of my favorite producers in America, who really brought that French tradition from the Loire Valley of aged goat cheeses to America. They have a great slogan that says, Chev forever. 
I totally believe in that because they make phenomenal cheeses, but um, they make fresh goat cheeses, incredible butters, but they make aged goat cheeses like you would see from the Loire Valley in France and mold ripened. And so on the surface, they have what's what's called geotrichum rinds. Um, And so it almost looks like brain coral, Mm -hmm. um, very dense, sort of rich texture. And then they also have sort of the ash coated ripened goat cheeses and they're smaller format. Um, okay. And so they tend to be sold like either in whole units in or half pieces. Shapes? Yeah, so one that one from France that you see a lot is called the Valencay. And Valencay essentially is sort of a, an ash-coated aged goat cheese. And it looks like a pyramid, so it looks like a trapezoid with the tip cut off, right? So it has that sort of flat top with the flared-out edges. That's an example of an aged goat cheese. And so instead of not just being fresh and tangy and goaty, for lack of a better term, it becomes a lot more complex. There's some saltiness to it. And depending on the age, because as the cheese ages, um, essentially struck, you know, the elements of the cheese actually break down from the exterior to the interior. And that's why you see sometimes cheeses get gooey and, right. and really oozy on the exterior, but nice and chalky and firm in the interior. And so a texture like that would be really fun with this beautiful sort of like sharp geometric mm. um, shape that we see with the bow chocolate, but because with that flavor, it's almost like that pairing that you'd get with aged goat cheeses and that type of wine that has those sort of dried fruit characteristics. But at the same time, because it has those deeper sort of like smoke, like pipe tobacco notes, I would actually... Maybe something woody, like yeah. the, the Harbison that's covered in spruce. Yeah, and, and that would actually be a really interesting one because the Harbison is so salty mm-hmm. and savory. Um, unctuous. Unctuous, and people call it, so Harbison is like, if you imagine the size of a camembert, so it has that nice sort of like plush looking top rind, but the sides of it is actually wrapped in spruce. And so you get a very woodsy sort of conifer, so it's kind of piney towards the exterior, but the cheese itself, because it comes from the cows in the area, from the farm, the Ayrshire breed, and the microbiology that the Jasper Hill Caves have, creates this incredible cheese that's very similar to what you'd see like that's made in the Ural region in France called Vacheron. This one tends to be like what we call brassicas. So like cabbage, cauliflower, kind of savory. You call cheeses according to that family of of kales and et cetera. Yeah, and when you taste it, you'll be like, oh yeah, this tastes like Brussels sprouts. Or like, oh, this totally reminds me of like cauliflower. We've all had that moment where someone like reheats cauliflower like in a closed room and you're like, I smell cauliflower, you know? That would actually be a really funky pairing, like actually something really interesting to try. But with this one, I think aged goat cheese would be really fun. Beautiful. And chocolate industry, take note, we can move away from just a standard flavor wheel and go full on into families that remind us of flavors or even other genus of the plant. That was a beautiful explanation. Thank you. Now we have, what should we do, the 80? Yeah, let's do the mosh okay. Is that how you say it? It is mosh So mosh was a farm that I had the chance to visit while I was in Ecuador. <laughs> I'm laughing because we had a moment before this podcast started where we had said, at a cheese conference, it's quite often that you hear, my last origin trip to Switzerland or France was. <laughs> and at the chocolate conferences, we have, when I was down in Ecuador, when I was visiting... Indonesia. But anyways, Mashpi is a single farm. So they rely on, I believe, about five hectares of land and they do everything from the tree to the bar. And they're most famously known for first of its kind, I believe, which is a bar with liquid cacao pulp or caramelized cacao pulp inside the bar. But this is just their their highest level. Or maybe they also have 100%, but this is an 80% today. Again, my first time trying this bar, so I'm super excited. So it's a thicker bar than Mm -hmm. the other ones that we've tried. 
Yeah, also dark. Mm -hmm. Deeper rose. A little bit more purple, I see. Yes, I definitely see that. Ooh, very good. Hard snap. snap. Mm -hmm. So definitely slower to melt. Mm -hmm. I don't get the sense that there's cocoa butter, but there is. Try another piece. It's really earthy for me. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of playing in the dirt. Yeah, and it's almost, yeah, like that wet earth sort of characteristic. For me too, like, it's almost evocative of sort of, um, I do pour over coffee, mm -hmm. and the scent that I get from my cone filter Okay. after I do the pour over coffee, so not the cup of coffee itself, but from the grinds, so it's a little bit more concentrated. Mm. That's a good point. It could be closer to, say, a coffee flavor. What would be really interesting to try with this because of sort of like minerality and the coffee notes is trying two cheeses that unexpectedly or expectedly, depending on where you come from in food world, actually pair really well with coffee, like straight up black coffee. One of them is actually Comte, like mm. we mentioned earlier mm -hmm. for the first chocolate for Camino Verde. Comte and coffee tend to play well together. It might be those brown butter notes, so it's almost like you're putting like... Milk in your coffee. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So it has that same sort of effect. What is also interesting to try because it's almost like we're flipping the concept of you know, the beverage or the chocolate being sweeter than the cheese is doing what's called an extra aged or double aged Gouda. And when you look at these cheeses, it almost looks like, you know, people think of cheddar cheese being because it's orangish, but it has like a really deep burnt orange toffee color. Okay. And parts of it almost look translucent. And it's really hard, dry aged cheese, almost like um, a Parmigiano Reggiano, mm, right? Okay. When you buy it by the slice, it almost shales and like flakes off. And that, because of its aging process and the way the milk proteins uh, break down, creates, and to a lesser extent in the Comte as well, but really pronounced in the Gouda, really delicious crunchy crystals. And a lot of people think they're salt crystals, but they're actually tyrosine crystals, although I missed the seminar today to actually really oh. differentiate the line between tyrosine and calcium lactate crystals. And those are the two crystals that we find that provide that sort of texture in harder more aged cheeses and cow's milk like Parmigiano Reggiano, mm. the Goudas, etc. So also edible. Exactly. Very much edible and actually a, a desired characteristic okay. in the cheese. And so to have that characteristic, that texture, but also that sweet flavor, it, there's almost like a toffee-like butterscotchy flavor mm. to this cheese. Mm -hmm. And so to kind of, and also that's something that has been paired with a fair degree of success with something that has like coffee sort of notes to it. And so I'd be really interested to try the Comte as well as a double-aged Gouda with mm -hmm. this one. That would actually be fun. Some fun domestic versions of, say, like Alpine-style cheeses, whether it like be Gruyere in Vermont. Again, amazing cheesemakers in a tiny, tiny state, Vermont. There's a producer called Springbrook Farms, mm -hmm. and they specialize in Alpine-style cheeses. And one of them, one of my all-time favorites made in the U.S., is called Tarantaise, and it's based off of Gruyere. And that's one that I have definitely paired with coffee in the past and it's been absolutely delicious and I'd be curious to see how it pairs with the mosh pea. You know I didn't even think of it but we have three here from Ecuador. We're moving into Perla which is a female-owned business in Quito and she is one of the only small-scale from the bean producers so there's a lot of co-packing that happens in Ecuador that is also from the bean but it just happens at a very large scale and she's one of the few that is working in small batches and she's been in her line using a lot of inclusions this happens to be a savory inclusion which I have not tried yet so I'm, I'm curious to see what this turns out to be like especially with cheese but it's got olives and sea salt 
I cannot wait to try this. I've never had an inclusion bar with olives. And the percentage, to let everybody know, I believe is it's... 70. 70? Yep, 70. Right. It's got a very fine grind to it. And there's little, little pieces of little shards of, I guess that could be the dehydrated olive or mm -hmm. the salt. We'll have to see. Really nice clean edges at the break. Oh my gosh. I love this. It's really good. It's really yeah. good. Nice job. Very good. So it looks like they used, and I, I guess it's just, it may be because of the packaging, but actually from the, the looks of the olive pieces in the chocolate and by the taste, they used a really buttery mm -hmm. olive. Like if you ever go to the olive bar, like in the cheese section at a store, you'll see a variety of olives. And we're all familiar with like, you know, the canned black olives we had on the Pizza Hut pizzas or whatever. They were just kind of fatty, not a lot of, and kind of mushy. And we've grown up and now we have like, you know, 10 different types of olives available to us at the olive bar. Everything from really briny and sharp kalamatas to stuff that's really mild and buttery. And this one almost reminds me of um, what's called a nochalara olive. Hmm. And Kalamata is like, they're almost almond shaped. They kind of have a pointy end and have that really distinctive color. Nochalara olives are much more round in shape. They don't really have a tapered pointy end like you'd see with some cacao pods, like the amelanado. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this one is almost more like the calabasas sort of shaped like cacao pods. And they're normally like sort of like a, a tan color, but they're actually dyed lightly green. Oh. And that's traditional. Like for instance, in Southern Italy, like where these grow, I think primarily in Sicily, and they tend to have a really buttery flavor mm -hmm. and, and just very pleasant. This reminds me of like a nocciolara olive and there's like this pleasant sweetness. Yeah. I mean, that's so crucial. If she had probably gone with a very bitter olive, we'd be talking about a different flavor here and mm -hmm. not so enjoyable necessarily because at a high chocolate percentage, you do need that strike of sweetness, strike of butter. I would almost go, even though we're talking sea salt here, I would almost go with a type of milk and a type of cheese that's known for being very salty anyway, and that would be more robustly flavored like sheep's milk. So I would even try like a pecorino. Mm. Um, and so in Italy, you'll have different um, ages of pecorino, a 30-day, like a 60-day, or like a 90-day. This one I think would be fun to try with a variety of ages. Like you'll get more concentrated like savoriness or brothiness mm -hmm. from it. The 30-day is probably, obviously it's the most mild, tends to be softer, tends to have like a lighter flavor profile. This would be really fun to try with this. And you can get that imported from Italy. It's called Pecorino Toscano. You can find it as a 30-day. Definitely try the 60-day. I think the 90-day may be way too old. That's stuff that you just saved a great over your favorite pasta dish. Another sheep's milk cheese that might be really fun to try with this is something from the Basque region of Spain called Osao Irati. O-S-S-A-U hyphen I-R-A-T-Y. Funky Basque spelling, one of my favorite cheeses. That's something that can vary depending on the producer and the affinor, the person who ages the cheese, in terms of how strong it can be, but that may be a fascinating one to pair with this. Another one that might be a great one to pair is if you can find it, there are a lot of producers actually doing it um, in places like on the West Coast in California, a sheep's milk ricotta mm. that tends to have, I mean, ricotta is very creamy and nice and I think would be lovely with this anyway, even as like a dessert cheese, you know, the type of uh, serving presentation. But man, to get a sheep's milk ricotta, to get like all that nuance and it would play really well with the notes of the olive. And, and Vanessa, you're saying that also, again, just to help people that maybe wouldn't be able to find this bar exactly, mm -hmm. the inclusions being a tad salty, tad sweet, mm -hmm. then they would therefore go with something on the cheese end that would be that buttery sensation we're talking about again, but more of a semi-hard. 
Yeah, so okay. if you can't have find um, maybe a manchego, olives, yeah, yeah, something like exactly. So if you do a pecorino aged, you can do a manchego. That would be a, a wonderful option for this as well. But that one is a, a remarkable, remarkably fun chocolate. I think you can have a lot of fun pairing with that one. But my mind definitely goes to sheep's milk because of the olive and the sweetness that it, it would actually balance it out really nicely. Fabulous. We have two left, so we're going to move now to the milk chocolate because we'll finalize with the white. And these guys are great. This is Fruition out of the Woodstock area of New York, Shokan. Brian Graham is the chocolate maker alongside his team there. This is a 43% milk chocolate. They have used non-fat milk powder, just to make note of that, but they've also browned butter. And that's where we said earlier, pay attention to when we talk about this. So here we are. I love this bar, and it just I love won an this award bar so. so much. Well-deserved award. Not the hardest snap, like many milk chocolates, but we don't hate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll take it. The depth of flavor you get from milk chocolate, because I think a lot of people who love dark chocolate stay away from the milk chocolate because they just think it's so one-dimensional and sweet. Mm-hmm. This bar just blows that theory out of the water. So much caramel. Mm-hmm. So, and toffee, and just all of the things that you want to eat when you're young and still At least enjoy. Roasted hazelnuts. I definitely get that characteristic. And so, milk chocolates are interesting because you have that addition of the milk powder. And in this case, you also have the addition of the brown butter. How do you pair it then with another dairy item? Exactly. Right? And because milk chocolate categorically tends to be sweeter, this is actually safe territory to, to pair with fairly strong cheeses, right? And so how do you define strong? Obviously, it's subjective. Some people find, you know, Gruyere to be strong cheese because it's not, you know, the the typical mild, like, part skin mozzarella, right? But if you're talking in the realm of artisan cheeses, milk chocolates are always sort of a safe pairing for those pungent wash rind cheeses that tend to have sort of like a salty pinch to the flavor, as well as a variety of blue cheeses and so that sugar Mm -hmm. and that extra dairy actually helps to temper a lot of what people find maybe too assertive or offensive blue cheeses and I've actually um, taught classes where we've paired a blue cheese with a milk chocolate and people who say they don't like blue cheese they actually really like the blue cheese better because of the addition of the milk chocolate oh fascinating and a lot of the blue cheeses in production like tend to have very fudgy characteristics to them anyways or and some are very light and crumbly that you use for salads and are very bright and tangy and others are just really deep and dank and just sort of fudgy and just very very i find pleasant and so for something like this with the brown butter and the dairy and that sweetness I would love to pair it with something like from Oregon at Rogue Creamery, they make a caveman blue that tends to be um, a little bit bolder than, say, sort of the flagship blues that they make that you, you kind of find at every stores. They tend to be a little bit, uh, the blue cheese is definitely has a lot more personality, and so this is a great way to kind of temper that. I would definitely try it with that, and I would also try it with, oh, you know what would be a really fun one? One of my favorite blue cheeses of all time is a mixed milk blue cheese. From Spain, I think Mixed it's milk. I think it's Asturias where it's from. Okay. It's called Valdeón. Is it also a cave cheese? I think it I is. Think, yeah, I, I think it is. Yeah, that region myself. I love it with everything. I think with this chocolate because there is a, a salinity, like a mm-hmm. and a minerality to this, to the cheese that with this brown butter because it offers so many complementary flavors, you're gonna get like a powerhouse of a pairing 
when you say mixed milk, do you mean like yeah. non-fat whole milk? So cow? mixed types of animals, exactly. Okay. So I think Valdeon is actually cow and sheep's milk cheese. It's been a while since I studied, yeah. but they we do can a lot verify. of blending, at least from my memory. They do, mm-hmm. yeah, and depends on you know obviously the terrain determines what animals you can have, but that blending is what gives it sort of personality and its flavor. And uh, Valdeon is just one of my favorite all-time blue cheeses. And it's been harder to pair because of with the sheep's milk addition, like Roquefort tends to be a little bit harder, right. say cow's milk cheeses that tend to be creamier, a little bit sweeter. But with the addition of the sheep's milk, the brown butter and the saltiness in that would be killer. Wow. Very excited about that. I don't often play around with sweets with blue cheese. I'm usually the, the salad gal for that. Yeah. So I'm really totally. excited to go well, think experiment of it, with Yeah, that. with like beverage pairing, like some of the best blue cheeses and beverage pairings that I've had are with the fortified wines, mm-hmm. you know, the the Tony Ports and the Madeiras, even Vinsantos and, you know. The, the vermouth, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. don't be afraid of residual sugar when you have, like, a stronger cheese. In fact, I love, like, sherries, like Oloroso sherries or Vinsantos with um, a washed rind cheese from Italy called Taleggio and Taleggio-style cheeses. And so they tend to be, a lot of people say it smells like feet. And believe it or not, it, the taste is actually much better than the scent. That scent, that aroma comes from the presence, the desired presence of yeast that arise from constant washing with the solution that has like the, the, the desired microbiology in it. It usually has some yeast molds like sure. the tenomyces that gives it also like characteristic sort of texture on the surface and a characteristic color. I love it with caramelized onions. And so mm. you translate that sweetness also then with beverage and then with chocolate. Great. And I would just ask you while we're here in this, before we do our last one, if somebody is thinking, you know, I'd like to replicate something similar to this, I can go down to my local grocery store and grab a mm-hmm. blue cheese, but they don't have what we might classify as artisan or... Or specialty section. Specialty yeah. cheese. How, how do you determine like what their next move should be? Or is that okay? Maybe what some of the, just the workings within the industry also from your end are. Yeah. I think the beauty of the cheese industry is that, you know, 20 years ago, it was kind of, I don't want to say cottage industry, but it was still sort of like the beginnings of a movement. And 20 years later, it is a multi-billion dollar industry that even multinational corporations that have long worked in dairy and cheese are recognizing like there's some money to be made here. Specialty. Specialty. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. And so it's gotten to the point where even people like say in Ohio or, you know, Illinois outside of Chicago, they can find like their version of a supermarket, like say a Kroger, for instance. Like Kroger's a great example. Like they recently bought Murray's, but they previous to that, they worked in conjunction with Murray's to say, this is your wheelhouse, you know, selling cheese, talking cheese, bring that concept into our stores. And so what they've done is essentially extended the footprint of a cheese powerhouse and brought specialty to a lot more people. Also, in a lot of, you know, even small towns, you find the most remarkable little cheese shops that are really fun to explore. And these cheese shops often have really great chocolate selections too, Mm -hmm. because they're mindful of that sourcing and that narrative. And so I almost, you know, would challenge you to say, find the specialty shops first, because you'll get a lot more of the guidance and actually a lot more of the sampling available to you to kind of like try it out before you buy it. But usually a lot of the supermarkets now, they're upping their game in terms of specialty cheese. You may not find the bars there yet quite, but in terms of the cheese, like you will find a Manchego, you will find an aged Gouda, you will find at least two to three different sure. types of triple creams, um, mm-hmm. which are those really buttery soft, you know, like the Breeze and the Camemberts. Even Trader Joe's is lauded for their selection of international Absolutely. cheeses. Absolutely. Their program, it's something called private label, meaning they sell it under the Trader Joe's like label, but someone else makes it for them. The, the, the cheeses that they source for their private label are 
phenomenal quality for the value right so you know like for the for instance for our solstice 70 percent camino verde if you do the trader joe's like imported french brie that is going to be a killer pairing mm-hmm. with this camino verde conversely if you you know go to a specialty shop and you know you find a soft ripened cheese that's made here domestically called trillium it's beautiful it, instead of being round it's like the shape of a loaf and it has that same sort of white bloomy rind and it's really buttery and unctuous that's also a great pairing with the solstice so you can find if you typically go to a cheesemonger in these shops and you say i'm looking for the style of cheese typically nowadays you can find somebody who can lead you in the right direction perfect perfect and on that when is the best time of year for cheese and chocolate tasting all the time all the time. All the time. <laughs> what was it that um, you ever watched 30 Rock? So Liz yeah. Lemon is Tina Fey's character on the show, and we just love her in the cheese world because, you know, she loves cheese. Her character loves cheese, and she talks about she has cheese for every occasion. She has, like, shower cheese. She has weekend cheese. She has Friday cheese. And so that's kind of how all of us feel about cheese. Like, there's, if there's always an occasion for cheese, there's always going to be an occasion for chocolate. I think when it's hotter and more humid outside, it's, it's harder to take because they're both very intensely flavored things. Mm. You only need a little bit of each to feel really sated. And so fall and winter, no brainer, spring, like maybe in the depths of July, like Mm -hmm. if it's really humid, okay, I won't feel like it. You know, a lot of the cheeses that we come across, you know, for by and large, they're available year round. There are a handful of exceptions that are imported and also made domestically where, you know, they are very special. Like for instance, the Jasper Hill, like that Harbison, like that is a treat during the winter time, you know? And so if you find it around the holidays, get that and, you know. <laughs> fatten yourself up. Fatten yourself up and try different <laughs> pairings. But, you know, for the most part, if you do grab the Beau Cacao and you're like, man, I want to try, you know, an aged goat cheese with it, you're not going to have a problem finding Vermont Creamery, especially. Mm-hmm. They make, you know, sort of a, an ash-coated aged goat cheese called Bone Bouche, hmm. which is lovely. We have our last one here, which is a white chocolate. And probably many of you know that I am not a huge white chocolate fan, but I managed to make a white chocolate this year that was really fun. The turmeric of a goat thing, which I will be giving to Vanessa later. But here we have Willie's Cacao from the UK. And I believe this is 38. Does he talk about the cocoa butter? Mm-mm. He does not. But it's probably around a 38% cocoa butter. Oh, here it is. Cocoa salad's 36%. Milk powder at 34. And cane sugar. So just a three-ingredient bar. Beautiful. Why don't you like white chocolate as much as, say, the others? Mm. I'm always curious to hear what people say. I find it to be really, really sweet. I guess to rephrase that, it's not that I don't like it. It's more of a special occasion chocolate for me. Mm-hmm. And the other chocolates, just more so on the dark side, are everyday meal chocolates. Gotcha. You know, breakfast, lunch, dinner. They're always in season. There's going to be some people that love this mm-hmm. because they are more within that sweet realm. Mm-hmm. There's going to be some probably dark fans that say, whoa, very, not very so oily, <laughs> very, very sweet. But I think it is important in tastings to have that diversity. Absolutely. You know, the predominant characteristic we get is like that creaminess, very little vanilla. Like it's not a fan. It doesn't smell like a marshmallow in any way, right? Mm -mm. So it's a very delicate flavor. And I actually wouldn't pair it with anything aged in terms of cheese, no matter what the milk type is. In fact, the pairing I would do is actually more of a culinary approach. And actually you could do that with any of the chocolates in terms of mixing them with dairy and cheese in a recipe and in a concept. 
for instance, if you get that book on science, um, on food and cooking by Harold McGee, I think everybody should have that in their kitchen so that they can understand the processes that make cooking happen or why we taste certain things. And so the chemistry within our mouths. Correct. Mm-hmm. And also why we taste certain things or why things like, you know, why chocolate melts a certain way, you know, why cheese stretches, you know, when we melt it on a pizza. But he actually has um, a great sidebar where he talks about his goat cheese truffles. And that's a great way to use, like, especially if you have bits and ends of, like, leftover dark chocolate bars, to actually melt and combine, like, really nice fresh chev, in this case, not the aged goat cheese, and actually make, like, a really cool dessert or, like, a really cool gift, you know, that you can roll in cocoa powder. I love chocolate and dairy together, not just with milk or cream, but cheese, like, in dairy applications. And for this white chocolate, you would be, although it would be very hard to pair in an eating combination. So what I would do for this white chocolate is actually melt it over a double broiler and mix it with one or two, one of two things. We could go the route of a very thick, lovely cream cheese, like mascarpone, um, and you could use that as like the basis for like a shortcake or like a parfait or something. Mm-hmm. Um, call it a mock a pudding. Trifle. If you will. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Or second, which I think would be more interesting because in this case the dairy is cultured, is creme fraiche, right? Or, or French sour cream. It has a higher fat content. To me, it is like one of the best luxuries ever. In fact, one of my favorite sort of like dessert hacks is actually having creme fraiche like in a tiny sort of like dessert bowl or like an olive bowl. And I'll chop up like a bunch of chocolate that I have, like usually ends of bars. And I'll put that on top and then I'll actually just add like the slightest drizzle of maple syrup and then that to me the dairy just brings out all of the chocolate that's on there without melting the chocolate without melting the chocolate because I actually really like that difference in texture between Mm -hmm. the really creamy creme fraiche and the chocolate you could shave the chocolate to like shards or chop it up that is the quickest dessert that you could ever possibly enjoy um and that maple and the creme fraiche and everything just kind of brings everything together exactly. what producer you use yeah. or what origin and it's a very accessible pantry very much together, so which, very much so know, i have creme fraiche from vermont creamery in my fridge so i'm gonna go home and the best play around with the best this. i love it but with this i would love to melt this over um a double broiler make sure it's a little bit cool you know and then mix it into some creme fraiche and just pair that with some summer berries and peaches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was getting raspberry, but I might have just been a little biased since I know they also do a bar that is raspberries and white chocolate. Oh my gosh, that would so, be amazing. Um, same chocolate, but again with, with, I believe, the dehydrated raspberries. So fabulous. We've reached the end of our tasting. And Vanessa, you are such an incredible wealth of knowledge within all of these industries. What a treat to have you. You're probably getting a lot of requests for consultation, I would imagine, on a basis of people that are getting more interested in the ideas of pairings, and specifically now that we have the terminology between specialty cheese and specialty chocolate that's kind of coming into its own. Maybe just some thoughts on where people can access that locally, or if they were interested in doing something similar. There's probably not a certification for some year of both these things, but what path might one take? You know, definitely read. Read and taste is probably the best thing. So the American Cheese Society, if you do work in the specialty food industry and you work a lot with cheese, you can actually go on the path of studying cheese um, with the CCP certification exam. But, you know, in the realm of chocolate, that's sort of still few and far between. And so it would be tasting as much as you can and working on sort of those complementary pairings. I love using tools. Like, I love my apps. 
and um, there's a tool called Evernote. If you live off of your uh, smartphone like I do, Evernote is always up on my phone because I jot down tasting notes. And Evernote is great because you can actually take a photo, immediately upload it to the note, take all your notes, and then later on you can kind of file it away in different folders. So I actually have a chocolate head folder and subfolders by like producer and then subfolders from that by like origin and then that way I kind of have like this log of sorts and that's how I retain stuff because I'm visual Mm -hmm. Um, I can write down stuff in a journal but after about like three months I can't read my handwriting like if I try (laughs) to go and recall so Evernote (laughs) is awesome for me because then I can take photos of like the packaging like how it looked that time and so it's really evocative for me as like a visual learner to kind of take account of that but really like it's just taste as much as you can because people ask the same of like cheese world is how do you you know how do you get to that point and in all honesty it's just being in front of it and tasting it and accessing it as often as possible and where I live now in the Bay Area you know we have great resources not in terms of just retailers who have really great cheese selections as well as chocolate selections like the Buy Right Markets, Market Hall Foods, the cheese shop. There are also like great classes like the Cheese School of San Francisco. Mm. I actually teach a few classes there. Even in Salt Lake City, you know, you have Caputo's Market and Deli and they have three locations now where the cheese selection is phenomenal and the chocolate selection is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And Um, please give yourself credit to that. The reason I found Vanessa was that she was mentioned in an article saying essentially she had launched Caputo's fine chocolate selection. So... Well, that you was know. very kind of him to say. And it, and it came on a challenge because, like, Matt Caputo, where is the rest of your chocolate? And he totally answered that challenge and, and exceeded all expectations. And so and Utah is a phenomenal place. So I feel like if it can happen in Salt Lake City, I think you can go and search for these places. Like in Austin, Texas, there's Antonelli's. In Philadelphia, you have several locations of De Bruyne Brothers. If you're in the New York metro area and you get to Manhattan or Brooklyn, you're going to have options. And so, you know, if not direct mail order, especially during the summertime when it can be very hot, Um, There are retailers there that not only sell this stuff, but there's usually going to be someone there who can geek out about it and will geek out about it with you. And that's what keeps, I think, people in the industry and in the community is that connection and that dialogue. Find people to geek out with. Find your geeks. Find Find your your tribe. Exactly. And let your freak flags fly. (laughs) Don't ever let anybody talk you down from loving the chocolate or the cheese. Or the charcuterie. Exactly. (laughs) I would just end, I think, on this one piece that is, you mentioned, you know, having tools accessible. Does that for you extend to using flavor wheels or some other specifications that have been established through the American Cheese Society? You know, anything that you can use to help you develop that vocabulary and remember that vocabulary. There are flavor wheels for chocolate, there are flavor wheels for different types of cheese. Producers have gone so far like in the cheese industry to create what are called flavor graphs or spider graphs that show like how much bitterness a cheese has or how much sweetness a cheese has or etc depending on, you know, what the product is. And so whatever helps you visualize and retain that knowledge I think is helpful. My friend Dave Selden is a creator of a series called 33 Books. He's a phenomenal creative force um, based in Portland, Oregon, and he has a whole series of really cool like journals. He has one for cheese, he's made one for chocolate, he's made one for charcuterie and salumi, whiskey and beer and cider. Um, and you can and those are cool little journals that you can keep like in your pocket, in your purse, in your bag, whatever, and you can just whip it out or you can 
use Evernote. And lately, also um, Hazel Chalk just mm-hmm. came out with that beautiful, you know, sort of color graph. And for exactly. me, that's really effective. You know, I had that. Looking at that, I realized like I taste in color. You know, and so being able to taste the chocolate and also then correlate it with something like that, it helps you establish a vocabulary where even if you just remind yourself about it, you're going to retain that knowledge a lot more. And that goes with cheese, wine, charcuterie, or chocolate. Vanessa, it's been such a treat. Thank you for sharing this tasting with me and the audience and how they can replicate this wherever they may be. Thank you for sharing such amazing bars, and it's a pleasure to meet up with a fellow chocolate nerd. Wasn't that an absolute blast? Thank you again to Vanessa for finding the time in her busy conference schedule to create this special edition with me. I'm so excited about bringing you more episodes in the future with all of the amazing ladies in cacao and chocolate. I also need to send out special gratitude to all of you who have joined me in this journey. Well Tempered is coming up on its one year anniversary and it has been a phenomenal experience thus far. I've learned a lot. There have been many moments of joy, some challenges, but above all, I've had you all to support me along the way, and that just means a ton. I need to send a special thank you as well to Estelle Tracy of 37 Chocolates, who was our guest on episode two. She has joined me in the Well-Tempered group to help serve as an administrator and moderator And I'm so thankful to have a talented, down-to-earth, and ambitious lady a part of the Well-Tempered Ranks. Some of you I will be seeing in Santa Fe the first week of September for the Mujeres Milagros Women in Chocolate Retreat that I am hosting alongside Sofia of Proje Chocolat and Tamara of Batchcraft. If you're not going to make it this year, we really hope that you'll sign up for the news and events of the retreats to come. We're very excited to be bringing you something that is really a celebration of all of the things that we care about. This show has been produced, edited, and mixed by me, Lauren Hynek, with the opening and closing theme song by Anna Garcia. Felicidades to her for her first full-length EP that has recently launched this summer. And of course, if you've made it this far, stay well-tempered. when I was a child, my mommy asked me with a smile What you will be when you get older The only thing I have clear is just to make this place A big woman she looked at me She answered If you want to make